crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello, welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Nuktagal. I am still here in England, hopefully going back to Israel pretty soon after Sukkot. Uh, Sukkot ended a day or two ago, the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths, as it's known in English. And my family was here for that inside or in England, just north of Stratford-upon-Avon on the campus of Herbert W. Armstrong College, a college which does sponsor archaeological activity inside Jerusalem and has done. Uh, for the past half century. So that's something we want to continue with and something we want to continue with very soon as well. Um, But while coronavirus has been taking place, it seems like there is little uh, archaeological work uh, that can go on. A lot of the excavations have been shut down uh, across the country, although there was some positive news on the corona front coming out of Israel today because they had the the lowest level of uh, or percentage of those people tested actually having coronavirus, something like 7% of those tested. And so that seems like it might be diminishing at this point and perhaps soon out of lockdown. And then my family hopefully will be able to return back to our uh, apartment in Jerusalem. Well, it seems like there have been uh, plenty of stories being written through the coronavirus uh, with lots of people with lots of extra time on their hands. A lot of people have been going onto social media and spending their time that way. Uh, it seems as they're closed up in their apartments, spending lots of time on the internet, a lot of writers writing numerous articles about things that I believe are uh, quite discouraging, uh, as we'll get to today, at least in terms of biblical archaeology and the proof for the Bible and what the Bible actually says, and really the, the proof of the Bible being the, the Word of God. Uh, We do have a couple of articles that I'd like to reference on today's program, two of them on Watch Jerusalem. One is the Geza calendar. This is uh, the article that was put out in the email today, and this goes through the discovery at Geza, which is kind of just as you get out of the hills as you're traveling down uh, road number one. Uh, between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, just after you get out of the hills and opens up and you've got a couple of fields either side of you. I think there's uh, some type of wheat or barley growing in those fields. And then towards the left, off in the distance, you see a mound with one lone tree on it. And that is the hill of Gezer. Now, if you're standing on that one lone mound to the left of you as you're driving towards Tel Aviv, Uh, you would be able to see towards the coast of Israel, towards Gaza, towards Tel Aviv, and you would have a commanding view of the entire region. And that's why this city was incredibly important in biblical times. You could see really any army that was traveling between Egypt and up along the coast of of Israel, uh, further towards the north, you would be able to see them from Gezer. And this was a city that belonged to the Egyptians for quite a long time and actually was a gift of the Egyptian pharaoh to King Solomon, and at the time he did give his daughter to King Solomon also. And at this excavation back uh, in 1908, there was an inscription that was discovered by the Irish archaeologist McAllister, and the inscription's quite small, about 10 centimeters tall. 
currently in the Istanbul Museum. Of course, the uh, the Ottomans were over this area at that time, so that's why it's there. But it has a, a lines of writing on it that date around the time of King Solomon, around uh, 900 and something uh, BCE. So almost, or just over 2,900 years old. And so we have an article up right now of that inscription, one of the oldest ancient Hebrew inscriptions ever to be discovered inside Israel. And it goes through an interesting account of the seasons in Israel, the seasons of harvest, the seasons of sowing, the months of planting, and the months of pruning, and so on. And then it has the the author, most probably the author of it, which was this man, Abiah. And what is so interesting about this inscription is the rather mundane text that is written there, which looks like it was some type, uh, probably an exercise, uh, perhaps an exercise of a young student that was writing in Hebrew, just this exercise of, of how the seasons work. And of course, matching the different holy days as well that exist in Israel, which or which do match the, the different seasons of, of harvest, the two harvests in the, in the land of Israel. And so we published this article, I guess it was a couple of days ago, on Watch Jerusalem. It's featured in our latest print edition of Watch Jerusalem, available for you on request. And we had a few comments on it on Facebook. And, uh, you know, you can't read into too much these comments from Facebook uh, because everyone writes whatever comes to their mind and they're not fear of re- fear. They don't fear retribution. I think amongst Israelis, not many Israelis feel feel, fear retribution anyway, thankfully, and it's kind of nice that what they say in private is generally what they're going to say in public to your face also, uh, a character trait of the nation that I quite quite enjoy uh, just because it does uh, promote some good discussion and good dialogue. However, this article, it's well-researched, it's about a thousand words a bit thereafter, and what people were upset by was the use of us saying that this was written around the time of King Solomon. Around the time of King Solomon. Of course, if we said 3000 BCE, nobody would understand. If we said uh, the Iron II period, which we write there also, nobody would really understand, or at least the general audience of Israel would not understand. But everyone knows who King Solomon was, even if you don't believe he existed. You know when he was after King David and before the split of the northern tribes of Israel from the southern kingdom. So everyone knows that personality, and particularly we were putting that in there so that we'd have a time stamp or a time period attached to when this dis- when this discovery was written. Our purpose on the artic- of the article wasn't to prove Solomon's existence. Nevertheless, that was the thing that the scoffers came out to mock. This first man said, what I liked is the date, time of King Solomon. And then she, then somebody responds to him saying, this is an evangelical site that uses archaeology rather than an archaeological site that relates the biblical period finds. Then the original commenter says, I know, I was being sarcastic. And then the next person writes, oh, and I thought for a moment the tablet bears the personal autograph of Solomon. Smiley face, ha 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 ha, they're writing about Solomon. Solomon didn't exist, what a joke. This is crazy which is just read the article yourself. And probably these people didn't really read the article themselves. Uh, But 
Nothing we write there is false. Nothing we write there is untrue. Nothing we write there is boastful about, have, have these outlandish claims about the Bible. Nothing we write there is purporting to say something that the archaeological discoveries themselves don't give. We were simply saying that this was from the time period that the Bible says that King David was alive, uh, King Solomon was alive. Now, of course, we do believe that King Solomon was a person. And we have every reason to believe that King Solomon was a person. Why not? Where did he come from? Why write it in the Bible? Now, these same type of people, scoffers as we'll be calling them throughout today's program, these scoffers have been writing this way for decades. They used to write this way about King David. They used to say that whenever somebody wrote of King David as a historical figure, they would get in ar- up in arms, they would laugh, they would smile. Oh, those poor people, those poor people writing this, those poor religious people writing these things think King David was a real person. Well, 30 years ago, King David as a person was proven in, a, in an inscription with David's name on it from the 9th century BCE, just 100 years after David or so. And so then a lot of people came out. This was found on the Tell Dan Steely. We have an article about this as well uh, up on Watch Jerusalem. And people would say, uh, people came out and said, well, it doesn't really sound David. David doesn't say David. It says something else in the inscription. And time has proved it to say King David exactly that. Not even the most far leftist archaeologist that doesn't believe in biblical accuracy claims now there are a couple I still are, that are out there that are far, far away from the mainstream that believe the Tell Dan Steely doesn't say King David, or not King David, House of David, Family of David, on it. And so those scoffers, that were scoffers 30 years ago, they had to eat those words. Okay, King David, King David did exist. Apologies. Sorry for saying that he didn't exist. I apologize for all those people I mocked for believing in David's existence. I apologize for those people that I, uh, to whom I said comments like, what I like is the date, the time of King David, as they did to this article. And I'm not angry with these people. I'm just saying, just wait and see. I mean, history doesn't bode well for you if you want to come out and talk about a biblical character such as King Solomon uh, and say that, well, how do they even, how are they using that as a timestamp for this, this discovery when King Solomon probably didn't even exist? Well, you might check your facts. You might check your facts and you might know that King David existed. So it's likely that King Solomon existed too. That's just based off the archaeological record. Now, where our job at Watch Jerusalem isn't to convince these people. And that's why I'm not giving these program and I'm not out to get these people. I'm simply uh, countering what is said that you think, if you're listening to this, might be the actual academic opinion of the mainstream. Academic opinion, scientific opinion. The scientific opinion is David existed. And the scientific opinion, therefore, is also that Solomon most likely existed just after him. We haven't found proof for him in terms of his name. Solomon was here. Uh, David's son Solomon on an inscription. You know how many inscriptions have been found? Uh, inside Israel. Not that many, especially from this period. There are more coming out. They're very rare. There's about four or five. So we've got four or five inscriptions from the time of King Solomon. We're hoping one of them has Solomon's name on them. One of them from 100 years after has David's name on them. I just say to these people, these scoffers that would come out and write such comments that just wait and see before you laugh at these people that believe that Solomon was original, an actual person, consider it the full body of evidence.
And that's what we ask you to do. But again, there is plenty of evidence, uh, circumstantial evidence, I would say, of Solomon's existence, like this city of Gezer. What does it have at the city of Gezer? It has one of these six-chambered gates, a gate that was built, we will say, around King the time of King Solomon. Some people, those people that don't believe Solomon was big and tough and mighty, just like the Bible says, other archaeologists from the Tel Aviv school, they believe that he was a tribal chieftain, that he exists still. Even Tel Aviv University believes Solomon exists, but apparently not these, these educated people on Facebook that Solomon existed. But what we find is that they believe he was petty t- tribal chieftain, meaning not a glorious king as the Bible describes, but he d- that he does exist. And yet we have at three locations these identical, I mean identical, city gates from, we would say, to King Solomon's time. They would say at Tel Aviv from 60 or 70 years after King Solomon. Not a big uh, quibble, uh, if you ask me. And there they exist. One of them, Bible says, 1 Kings 9, verse 15. It mentions three of these places. It mentions Gezer. It mentions Megiddo. And it mentions Chatzor. These are all cities, famous cities in ancient Israel, famous archaeological sites today. You can visit each one of those. Megiddo and Gezer, obviously, uh, Megiddo and Chatzor obviously have more, uh, more dramatic discoveries, I would say, than Gezer itself. And yet you find three identical gates at these cities and they're the three cities that the Bible says that Solomon himself built up, as well as Jerusalem there in 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse 15. And so you have, I would say, a wealth of evidence that is being produced to back up Solomon's existence, if you dare to be honest. And so that was one thing that I noticed uh, on Facebook uh, regarding some of the comments to this article on the Gezer calendar. It also seems that the authors at Haaretz have been quite busy during the lockdown producing some clickbait for people to come and destroy their belief in the accuracy of the Bible. Also, this is an article that was published on October 11th. It's entitled, Did God Destroy the Walls of Jericho? A Brief History of Bible Literalism. And so this is written by Rami Arav. He is actually a... Uh, professor somewhere. Where is he a professor? Somewhere in the United States, the University of Omaha, I believe it is. I'm just getting to the back of this article where it says such things. Dr. Rami Arav teaches in the Department of History and the Department of Philosophy and Religion at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. Now, if you're in his class, this is probably some of the content that you're going to be receiving. I don't know if you would want to continue to be educated uh, in this way, just because some of the statements in this are false. Some of the statements in this are true, especially considering what he writes about early Catholicism and then what happened with the Protestant Reformation thereafter. Not, I'm not saying he's probably a highly, he is a highly educated man, but some of the things he writes in this are outright false and misleading, and particularly towards the content of what he's talking about, that being the destruction of the walls of Jericho. This is how he starts his article. The Canaanite city of Ai was, or written Ai in English, Ai as we know it, was the second city conquered by Joshua. Even though its conquest is described in detail in chapter 7 of the book of Joshua, few remember its name, possibly because of the drama involved in the first conquest, Jericho. So you'll remember from the pages of the Bible, they cross over, Moses is dead, they cross over under Joshua's leadership, and the first city to be conquered is Jericho. Uh, Arav continues, the conquest of Jericho in chapter 6 is a spectacular story, 
No battle is described, no warriors are mentioned, no heroes are involved. Well, I think there's plenty of heroes, but not in the way that he would describe. Even the role of Joshua, the head of the Israelite military operation, uh, is marginalized. It was God's victory over the Canaanites. He did it with his agents upon earth, the priests. Seven priests carried the Ark of the Covenant around the city walls throughout six days, blowing the ritual shofar horns. And on the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times. And on the seventh circuit, the priests blew the horns and the crowd shouted and the walls of uh, walls came tumbling down. That is the story of Joshua chapter six. So indeed, this man has, has read it, um, doesn't believe obviously it happened, uh, but nevertheless, it he is aware, aware aware of this history. Then he talks about the conquest of Ai thereafter and the sin of Achan. Uh, the man that touched the accursed thing, that stole some things from from Jericho, and he wasn't allowed to do that, and why that resulted in the death of many people as they were fighting, and, and Joshua worrying, wondering what's going on and why there were people killed in the takeover of the Promised Land. This is the first people that were killed in that, and so Joshua said, what's going on? And Joshua actually blamed God for it, and, and God turned it back on Joshua and said, don't blame me for what happened. There is somebody in Israel that didn't obey didn't obey what I said, and that's why people died in the first battle against uh, the city of Ai. Now, he will go in to show that, uh, well, he mentions that Ai has never been fully, has not been proven as a city. Uh, There are a number of different potential locations for Ai. He doesn't talk about the secondary location of Ai and the destruction that does exist there and how that could have been the destruction of, of that the Bible is talking about. He sticks with the original city that people thought I was and, and says that during the time that the Bible purports to say that Joshua conquered it, there is no city there. And so the Bible's obviously false. But let's stick with Jericho at this point. He writes, Jericho experienced a similar process, talking about how it was proven false by archaeology, according to him. In the 1950s, the ruins were excavated by the British archaeologist Dame Kathleen Kenyon. She discovered that the walls of previous excavators, Waltzinger, Selin, and Garstang, excavated, had been destroyed about 1,000 years before the postulated time of Joshua. It was a shocking revelation. The conquest of Ai and Jericho, described in the book of Joshua, proved not to be factual. He writes, so I've skipped a huge portion of this, and I think the most most of this that's ac- actually accurate ha- is in terms of the how um, Protestantism, 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 I should say, came out of Catholicism. Um, but when he chooses to use Jericho as this example, what is his statements here? And this is not some uh, some little article that was written and nobody read. It's been one of the most popular articles on the book uh, on the Haaretz website uh, for the fa- for the past few days. And so a lot of people are reading this and a lot of people are believing that there's no archaeological proof for the destruction of Jericho or even I for that matter. Or that there's contention, or that there's disagreement. No. No, according to this man, Dame Kathleen Kenyon came along and we are to believe her, not any other archaeologist. Yes, there were the archaeologists that came along before her. And they did say, we found the destruction of Jericho. Here it is, just like the Bible describes. And you know what? Kathleen Kenyon found the same destruction of Jericho 
just like the Bible describes? I mean, exactly, to a T, exactly what the Bible describes. She found, as the rest had, a, a smashed up city wall, a smashed up city wall made of stone, and then on top of that, bricks. She found bricks that had then fallen down on the outside of the city wall that would have followed the biblical account. She would have known the fact that previous excavators had found massive stores of grain that was burned, something that you would not do if you were conquering a city. You grab the stores before you burn it down. But in the case of, Je- case of Jericho, the Bible says they were to burn it all. The Bible also says that it was to be done just after the grain harvest, when they would have lots of grain in the city as well. So there's so many fascinating details that Garstang found and that Kathleen Kenyon found that match perfectly, and I mean perfectly, with what the Bible describes of the destruction of Jericho. But the difference is Kathleen Kenyon dates it to around 1550, something like that, a little bit earlier. And the people that came along after, well, numerous excavators after and those that have re-looked at the evidence, they would date it to um, a little bit later, around the time of when the Exodus happened. Now, you're dealing with so many incorrect notions here. One is that there's there's plenty of archaeologists that believe that Israel came into the Promised Land and conquered the Promised Land around in the 13th century, 1250, 1260, around that time. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it should happen sometime around the 15th century, 1400s, around that period. And so his statement here that she discovered that the walls of Waltzinger, Salem, and Garstang, the same walls she discovered, this is Dame Kathleen Kenyon, who didn't believe, obviously, that Joshua did this. She believed that it happened earlier, that there was no city, really, when Joshua came in to conquer the Promised Land. There was no city there in the same location because it had been destroyed. But not a thousand years before. <laughs> I don't know where that came from from this article. Uh, Dame Kathleen Kenyon did not believe that those walls were built were destroyed a thousand years before the postulated time of Joshua. She believed they happened three hundred years before the postulated time of Joshua, and that postulated time is based on incorrect dating outside the Bible. And they would say again, 1250, 1260. Well, if you take the actual biblical date of 1400, then it's actually not that close. It's about 150 years. 150 years uh, before Joshua conquered the promised land is when these walls of Jericho fell down. According to the dating of Kathleen Kenyon, it's not a thousand years. It's not that crazy. And what you have are other archaeologists that actually know more than Dame Kathleen Kenyon did about the chronology of ancient pottery types that have come along and re-examined the same material evidence as she did, and they put the dating of such artifacts much more close to when the Bible describes that King, uh, well, that, that Joshua conquered this land, conquered Jericho. But just reading over this sentence, this is what people do these days. They just say, well, one archaeologist is right, the rest are wrong, and throw out some crazy stats about a thousand years. And the conquests of Ai and Jericho described in the book of Joshua prove not to be factual. Prove not to be factual, according to one archaeologist. And again, you'll find in the mainstream, most archaeologists agree with Dame Kathleen Kenyon. I'm not saying that. But it's not, the, not to the degree that, she, that he is stating here. 
He might, he's wanting to make it out that if you actually believe that Joshua conquered Jericho and that there were priests that walked around and blew these, uh, blew these shofars, blew these horns around the city and the priests were doing that and they're carrying the ark and all this procession and that made the walls of Jericho fall down, you're crazy. I'm sorry. I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for you. When will you wake up? These are just little stories that were written by people thousands of years after the event or a thousand years after the event that they purport to describe. And so you can't base your understanding and your life on what the Bible says. I pity you. And that is kind of the tone of these type of articles. Now, the Bible is a, is a tremendous book in terms of what was originally inspired by God and recorded and written down by the holy prophets as they were moved by the power of God, it says. And it was written down mostly, mostly by people that were ostracized from the, from the people that they lived amongst. If you look at the writers of the Bible, uh, at least after, the, obviously, the book of Moses, if you look at, look at the prophets, none of the prophets were held up and esteemed highly at all by those people that were around them. They were scoffed at. They were mocked as being as telling lies, telling untruths. And so it's it's little, I mean, you're not in that bad of a company, really, if you believe in the accuracy of the Bible. You're just like Jeremiah. You're just like the prophet Amos. You're just like the prophet Micah. You're just like uh, the prophet Isaiah at times. Prophecies that they said that originally that would end up being canonized in the Bible and the people around at their day scoffed at them, laughed at them, said it was crazy. You're basically like King Hezekiah when he was righteous, if you believe in the Bible today. And so you're in pretty good company. And so you don't need to believe. You don't need to believe what these scoffers write. They've been proven wrong time and time and time again. Sometimes they're right, for sure. And most of the time when they're right, they are producing evidence and showing facts that go against the traditional view of what the Bible actually says. And often that view, as espoused by many religious people of what the Bible says and the events of the Bible, they're wrong. They're wrong in their interpretation of it. The Bible interprets itself. We don't need to interpret it. And yet a lot of people do. And they add their own human reasoning into the scriptures, and then they produce an event that happened at a certain time that's not written there. And so then when these uh, people come along, um, these scientific archaeologists that don't believe in the accuracy of scripture, they'll come and say that, well, that doesn't match up with what you say. My discoveries don't. And often that's because the biblical interpretation is wrong. So th I think this the biblical world and the, let's say the, the biblical scholars throughout the past 200 years, take a lot of blame for this. It's a natural reaction, I would say, from some of these archaeologists to not uh, want to believe in the accuracy of the Scriptures because it has the interpretation of the Bible by their forefathers was wrong and proven to be wrong. And so they have been jaded to believe the Bible. So in that case, you know, it's understandable. However, we really do need to not rely on 
the words of an article in Haaretz to believe whether the Bible is true or not. And if you're listening to this, you probably don't. However, it is essential and necessary, I think, for us to provide some uh, ret- some counter-arguments against these pieces. And please go ahead and read this Geza Calendar article. I'll leave a link for that in today's show notes. We also have an article uh, written by Christopher Eames on the Bible's buried cities. He did a series a couple of years ago, a few years ago now, and one of the cities he chose was Jericho. Now, contrary to this article in Haaretz, Chris, Chris actually describes the back and forth of the different excavators, and he puts the facts out there, and you can decide. You can decide whether you want to uh, think there's enough evidence or not. This is what he says. It's up to the reader to study and decide. I believe Woods, which is another excavator that did his PhD on on the archaeological material from Jericho, I believe his explanation is credible. And the archaeological synthesis with the biblical account of the city's destruction, as will, sh- as will be shown below, is strong proof, is sorry, is too strong of a proof to be anything other than what occurred during the time of Joshua. So we obviously believe that the Bible is an accurate, accurate source. It stood the test of time. It still stands the test of time. And when somebody doesn't believe that King David exists, we'd say, just wait. Just wait. Don't say he doesn't exist from what hasn't been found yet. That would be foolish. Don't make yourself out look like look be a fool. Don't say King Solomon never existed. Wait a couple of years. We'll see. We'll see who whether the proof comes out of the ground, whether he existed or not. So you don't want to be counted a fool. These scoffers that come out and knock the biblical texts as being inaccurate and use archaeology to show its inaccuracy have a glorious view of themselves and the ability of modern science. They think that science or science is their God. Human reason is their God. They glorify their own human minds above the biblical text. And this is, is even glorified, I would say, throughout Judaism and the different rabbis and the different views of what the Bible actually says and what it means for this group or not that group. And this same, exi- this, this same debate exists inside uh, Christianity as well. But just take the biblical text, and of course, sometimes you don't understand all the words, um, but nevertheless, just take the biblical text, and if you hold that up as being true, then time will prove it to be true. That has been the, the, that has been the story of archaeological discovery. What man, one man says about it is not what need, you need to be concerned about. It just shocks me in some ways in the age of corona, coronavirus, and everyone's holed up in their houses, and they are... <laughs> kind of waiting for some type of miracle vaccine or miracle cure to take care of everybody in the world. And while that happens, we're all going to be herded around like sheep. um, And we are going to submit ourselves to these crazy laws and crazy rules that we wouldn't have dared do. uh, Let's go back a year ago, if we just thought about all these things that were going to be uh, intruding into our lives and intruding into our freedoms that many people just readily accept right now. I mean, we're willing to follow all these kind of pseudoscience, these changing regulations and changing laws and changing understanding of what this virus actually is when the underlying facts of this the virus are out and that we know it only really hurts those sick and vulnerable and those over a certain age. And yet we are, as a civilization, just willing to go along and willing to follow and willing to put our faith in some type of magical miracle cure that's meant to come out at some point and save us all. I mean, that's a huge faith. 
that's a huge faith that this world seems ready to accept, and yet they wouldn't accept the Bible as being the Word of God, and they wouldn't put uh, trust in that. They put faith in science. They put faith in the medical profession, which if you've been involved in the medical profession and you've needed certain surgeries or things like that, uh, and you know that they make plenty of mistakes, you know that they don't actually know what they're doing a lot of the time. They do have value and they do know what they're doing a lot of the time also, or some of the time. But I'm talking about where we would naturally put our trust. There's plenty of unfounded trust that's being put right now in a magical cure to a virus that isn't, doesn't hurt that many people in terms of all the population segments of population. Um, so why wouldn't we be, give the Bible a little bit of credence as well, especially as we're holed up in our houses in lockdown? Perhaps you could read the Bible and actually start to think, well, maybe it is accurate. Maybe it is true. And perhaps if I live my, live my life according to what the Bible actually says, there might be some beneficial fruits that come from it. Here's just a couple of quotes for you of these, of scriptures in the Bible that talk about people that talk against the accuracy of the Bible, scoffers, uh, as we've called them. Uh, as we're calling them, and as the Bible calls them as well. This is Proverbs 1, verse 22. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And scorners delight themselves in scorning, and fools hate knowledge. They love it. They love their scorning. They love the scoffing. Proverbs 3, verse 34. Surely he scorns the scorners, but gives grace unto the lonely. lowly. That's what God does. He looks for those that are humble. He looks for those that have a contrite spirit, a broken spirit, those that would simply take the text, the Bible, and believe it and live their lives according to that. Not one man's interpretation of the Bible. I'm not saying that. You're cursed if you follow a man. It says that in, in Jeremiah 17 and verse 5. You're cursed if you follow yourself even. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. Your heart, my heart, it's deceitful. It's desperately wicked. It follows vanity, the course of vanity, the course of selfishness. It's out for self. It's not out to give you, it's not out to give anything to anybody else. It cares about itself. It cares about its own country, its own nation. It doesn't care about God. That is our nature, and it's been that way for 6,000 years, ever since the Garden of Eden. And that is the heart also of the scientists. Now, the Bible is the words of God. There's no uh, selfishness there. That is how we become unselfish. That is how we care for others, by looking into the pages of the Bible. Proverbs 26 and verse 12. See you a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope of a fool than in him. That's how God talks about men that elevate themselves and their own thinking up onto God's level. God calls them, you know, God says that there's more hope for a fool than for that individual. Proverbs 21, verse 24. Proud, arrogant, and mocker are the names of him who acts with excessive pride. That is from the Jerusalem uh, Publication Society version. Proud, arrogant, and mocker. If you've got lots of pride, and we all battle this, we all face it. We have to face it down in our own lives, of course, um, but if you give way to that and your opinion is right and you're going to come out and write these pieces um, that strikes down biblical accuracy or your interpretation of what the Bible says, 
God calls these people proud, arrogant, and mockers. And he says that there's more hope for a fool, somebody that's unlearned, than that supposedly wise individual. That's what the Bible says. Isaiah 57 verse 15 writes, For thus says the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell, this is where God dwells, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite or broken ones. That is who God speaks to. God actually cuts us off from his knowledge, uh, from understanding if we are proud, if we do have a vain spirit about us, the same spirit that existed uh, inside the Garden of Eden, the same spirit that exists all through this earth today, really. That's what the Bible says also. This is in God's world, of course. Um, but God says that he's going to revive the spirit of the humble, revive the spirit of the contrite ones, those that would actually take the Bible at its word and believe what it says and subject their life, really, to what to what it says as well. That's what God desires, and that's what God wants. And in the world of, of coronavirus that this whole world right now exists in, surely... It's time for for us to just think about these type of things uh, more than scoffing the Bible at a time when we're locked in our houses. Do you have a good life right now? How is your life? How is your government's handling of what's going on? Is it has it been excessive? Do you think that they're leading in the right way? Is it a time for better leadership than what exists on the in the world scene? Have we just accepted that this is the only way it can be? Certainly in this world governed, which is governed right now um, by not God. This isn't God's world. This is Satan's world. The Bible brings that out throughout. And so we see reasons of why um, the world reacts the way that it does. But that doesn't have to be you. You don't have to react that same way. You can embrace the spirit of the humble. Embrace that attitude that maybe I don't know everything. And maybe I should trust this book that has been written over thousands of years that details a stunning history of of the Israelite people going back for thousands of years. And it's God's seen to it that it has been preserved, unlike any other text in the world, um, and unlike any other religious document in the world as well, and a document that actually claims to to speak for God himself, where God himself speaks in the first person. Read the book of Isaiah, and you see that. No other religious text does that. This is different. This isn't just religion. This is a book that God has given to us to help us govern our lives. And if we would just re- read it, and if we would believe it, and then we would take an honest look at science as well, and be fair and be balanced, and know that every man that's writing something has his own carnal nature to contend with, and his own glorification to contend with, who has his own bias to contend with. All of us do. All of us do know that uh, as well as you study it alongside your Bible and watch and see your life improve because of that. That's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to get a copy of the print magazine of Watch Jerusalem, you can write your request to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il or go to the website and go up to the top right-hand corner and click on the literature tab there and get your magazine that way. 
I do want you to read through these articles at Watch Jerusalem, including the one that Chris wrote about Jericho, to help you see that I'm not just making this up. Uh, This is an article entitled The Uncovering the Bible's Buried Cities, and again, it'll be in the show notes of today's program. And also, you can read the article by Mariana Bala uh, about the Geza calendar as well. Thank you very much for listening today, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.